Hey, this is Robbie Shaw. This is Patrick Bosley. And I'm Sam Hampson. And this is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Hello, everybody. We are back in the studio today. This episode is called This One's for the Girls. We're going to focus in on the differences between the male and the female relationship with alcohol. We have already covered the male relationship, so today we're going to dive into the female relationship. We're going to cover cultural influences, societal influences and expectations inside the household, as well as biological differences, how our brains and bodies react to alcohol differently. Today, we have got a very special guest in the studio. This is an old friend of mine. She is a physician here in town. She is an anesthesiologist with a specialty in pediatrics. She also lives in a household where her spouse is in recovery. So I feel like she's got a lot to bring to the table and we're really excited to have... Oh, you know what? She's also my wife, and her name is Dr. Ashley McDonald. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Robbie. Welcome to the studio. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We're very happy to have you in here. Um, you and I, obviously, man, we're entrenched in this topic. We, we talk about it all the time. Uh, I also forgot to mention that Ashley is a moderate drinker. She has never really had any you know, addiction issues, dependence issues, so she would fall into that category of a gray area drinker, um, one who is very controlled. So I guess first and foremost, I'd love to just kind of talk about some of the things you and I talk about on the regular. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what is it like living in a household with someone in recovery? Well, you know, I think that I probably think about it more than a typical person would in the fact that I think about every time I take a drink and how it's affecting me, how it's affecting you and what our daughter sees. And so I know that had I not married you, I probably would have been a heavier drinker. Yeah. I, <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't drink typically when it's just us in the house. Um, if it's just me by myself, I'll have a glass of wine when we're at dinner because it's a special occasion for me going out and of course when I'm with friends but had I not married you I think I probably would have had a glass of wine more often than I do now and I'm grateful for the fact that I pay attention to it maybe too much attention to it in the reality I don't think I do yeah. I'm aware of the health consequences with alcohol and what it means to be raising a daughter with and without alcohol and leading by example, as we talk about all the time. Yeah, I know. And it's, you know, on the other side, it's, it's, I have to be very cognizant of, of how enforcing I am of, of, of how I think about alcohol. And I, and I know, you know, you and I have obviously had these discussions, but for our listeners, it's, you know, I, I can't put too much pressure on you just because of my past experiences. And, and there's there's that whole conflict. And, and I would never want to make you feel guilty based on having a glass of wine every now and then, even though sometimes I'm like, oh, all alcohol is bad. <laughs> but I've learned to step back on that as well, and uh, you know, as I should. Well, and it's a good for me in terms of there was a time when I felt judged. And I think that the, when you stepped back, the more I started reflecting. And so it's been a yang and a yang, sort of figuring it out, 
what works best for us and our family and for you in terms of I don't ever want to make you uncomfortable with my drinking, but I'd still enjoy a glass of wine here and there. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> no I know. <laughs> it's interesting when we talk about the effectiveness of these discussions, because like you just said, once I stepped back, you know, then you were able to kind of take a look because there's no pressure. There's no right. s- somebody breathing down your neck. There's no, because that guilt, all, there's no guilt. There's no yeah. shame. Exactly. And, there, and you know, any normal person's going to react to, to those types of influences with defensiveness. I mean, Absolutely. that is just the automatic kind of thing we do as humans. And, and now with this podcast, which is the, the whole idea of this is to not come from a place of guilt and shame and, and, and really just opening up the conversation, which is what you and I do. I mean, almost daily. Absolutely. Especially since the podcast started, I come home and talk too much about it. But Well, and we've been on this wellness path now. My, my mother, as you know, passed a little over a year ago. And since that happened, I've changed a lot of things in my life, including my diet, how much I exercise. And the more we talk about wellness, the more alcohol is definitely, you know, something that you have to put in that picture. And once yep. you decided to do this, it made me realize how important that is for me to think about in terms of being healthy. And yeah. it's, you know, not to say that I'm taking it out of my my life completely, but but it's something that I think about in terms of what it's doing to my body. Well, and that's the goal. I mean, that's when we sit around and really try to figure out, you know, how can we educate better? Because really, I feel like that's the proper trajectory that we should we should take is just more education. Absolutely. Because I feel like this just that's where that's where we're lacking. That's where we're lacking. The topic of alcohol is a sensitive topic. It is it is a it is a normal uh, structure in our society and culture that people it's part of their identities and and to to talk about it in a way that might go against the grain is not always welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I think uh, an, an interesting topic in this whole arena is how you and I have, and we're still kind of constructing it, but decided how we're going to parent our daughter mm-hmm. when it comes to alcohol. Obviously, I am in the recovery world, and there's zero alcohol in my life, and my daughter has never seen me take a sip of alcohol. And I, I pride myself on that from a parenting perspective, but at the same time, that's not the reality of our world. It's not the reality inside of our household. There are glasses of wine. There are occasions where there is alcohol, and that is perfectly fine. You and I just have to figure out what's best in how we message yeah. uh, alcohol to our daughter. Yeah. It's interesting because she looks at me as an example, and I think about this a lot because she thinks, and she has a couple of friends whose dads are recovering alcoholics, and the moms drink. And she thinks that moms can handle a glass of wine and dads can't. Ah. And she's made that comment to me before. That said, she's also said she's never going to drink. Yeah. But I do worry that she looks at the moms and is like, well, you know, mommy can have her glass of wine, but the daddies can't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I'm trying to reconcile that right now and figure out the best way to talk to her about it and the risks with alcohol, especially drinking too early and there she's going to come into peer pressure and how we're going to discuss that because right now it's so easy because she's like never going to drink done like yeah. uh, you know yeah. she, 
has equated it with allergies and badness and what's happened to you and she has no desire. She thinks it's bad, but at some point that will change. Yeah. And I worry that she'll think, well, mom did and mom does. And so I'm okay too. Right. Well, because I'm a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she does have the example of how you drink going for her. True. Um, but at the same time, like, she's going to be influenced differently. Yeah. You know, she's going to, it's going to be marketed to her differently than it is men. Or she's going to feel like she's different than me, say her father, just based on how it's marketed to her. Mm-hmm. So she, like, to your point, she might it, it might be okay for me, and it's just not okay for daddy or in the guys, or, yeah. or however she frames her, you know, adolescent mind around it. Right, right, exactly. So you know, it, like you said, it's a work in progress. It's a figuring out. I do think that you and I are both really good at talking about it. We, yeah, we're, we don't hide it. No, we don't hide anything, and maybe to our detriment. But. I shouldn't have told her that story the other night. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> stories you shouldn't tell her. Well. That, uh, you know, we do talk about everything in front of her, and and it's it's a conversation that she's always in. It, it's the, the joy of having an only child is that she's with the adults all the time, and so she does hear everything, the good and the bad and the ugly. So, you know, we'll just continue having the conversations. Yeah, and, and to the point of that, I mean, it's it's – you know, people are constantly asking me, you know, in my field of work, how do we speak to our kids? And obviously I don't have, you know, I don't have the solution. I just have what I think is right. You know, it boils down to the same strategy as it does in lots of other areas in parenting is do as I say, not as I do rarely works. Right. You know, it's, it's very similar. And, and, and I'll just let our listeners know, Ashley and I were talking about this, you know, right before we came over here in that society does that, you know, society out outlines all these things that are potentially bad for you. And there is information out there on all the things that are, you know, potentially detrimental to your health and to your well-being. yet everybody's doing it. So it does fall into the same category as do as I say, not as I do. Um, because it's like, we're being told not to do all these things yet. Everybody it's else so it. normalized and everybody's doing it. And it's so it's, it's just an interesting kind of conflict there, especially when it comes to parenting. But let's let's go back to male, female and the differences, because that is what is going to be the bulk of this interview. And we are going to bring in Sam Hampson, my beloved co-host, who is now coming in from Charleston and not Charlotte. So she is not in the studio today, but she will be coming in via Zoom and conducting an interview with my wife, Dr. Ashley McDonald. Sam, where are you? Hey, I'm here. Hey, Sam. Thanks for being here today from uh, sunny Charleston. I, I assume it's sunny. <laughs> it, you know, it's beautiful. Of course it is. <laughs> uh, congrats on your move. 
<laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I've already let our listeners know who you will be talking to, my wonderful wife sitting across from me. So I appreciate yes. you two doing this interview uh, in, the, in the category of, of females and females' relationships with alcohol. I think I'm probably going to take a step back and allow <laughs> you all to, to dig into this stuff. As much expertise as I've got, I think I'll leave it to you two delightful women. Thank you. Thanks. It's super exciting to have you. I don't have so much respect. Anyone who can put up with Robbie, it's just, <laughs> that's, an, that's an unreal undertaking. Right yeah, there. medical school <laughs> was nothing compared to what I've had to deal with over the years. Well, I'm really excited about this episode in particular. I feel like I've referenced it several times, even in, in some of our other episodes of just saying, oh, I can't wait to get to this. And there's so much that it feels like we can dig into when we talk about women's specific issues around alcohol. I agree. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, just starting to have the conversations about what information we've never talked about mm -hmm. <laughs> and why we don't share it and what's so taboo about sharing it when it all seems to be really kind of heavy medical and heavy physical impact and the things that would seem to matter so much when you go into a doctor's office or when you talk to your girlfriends Absolutely. amongst the other things that you talk about in those two arenas the fact that alcohol isn't one of them is so crazy and I'm just going to jump right in because I'm so pumped to get into this topic and just kind of broadly what are some of the unique impacts of alcohol on women that you see either professionally or personally? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, I'm an anesthesiologist, so I don't deal with patients so much in terms of their relationship with alcohol in a patient context that often. I would say there are lots of comments made when we put a patient to sleep that's male or female, where we... Um, will notice that it takes them a lot to get them to sleep. We're like, oh, they must be heavy drinkers. But you know, the, the mm. but we never really ask them if they are. I think you know the more research I do on alcohol's relationship to women and the relationship from a medical standpoint is the risk of certain health problems that are associated with alcohol and women. In terms of we're smaller, we have less body mass, we have less body water. And so it affects us more quickly. It's harder for us to metabolize it. And so we are more likely to have health problems from a lot less alcohol. The health problems that are related are, you know, breast cancer, um, digestive issues. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and then from a, you know, society standpoint, like you talked about, I think it is so taboo now to judge alcohol, I guess. And in mm -hmm. terms of when you're that, and you you probably know just as well as I do, when you're when you decide not to drink for a night, like I a lot of times I don't I'll get together with my my friends and I don't drink because I have to work. I get up at four thirty in the morning to work, and so mm -hmm. I know that two glasses of wine and four thirty in the morning are just not good for me. And I always feel like I have to come in and be like, oh, this is the reason I'm not drinking. Like this right. is it. Like and they're like, oh, okay. Like you're okay then. And and it's not that they really think that, but that's the way I feel because yeah. that's what we do. We get together and we gab and tell stories and relate to each other with a glass of wine. Yeah. And then making that decision about is it worth it for me though, and does it work for my life? Because my life looks like waking up at four thirty, and exactly. this, this is not going to help that. Right, and you know, from my standpoint, I know that I'm not a good doctor if I am tired the next day, sure. and I deal with NICU babies, and the last thing I want to do is not be my best self. 
So it's an easy decision for me to not drink the night before when I have that choice. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not always easy for anyone else um, because most people don't have to deal with what I have to deal with in the mornings. And even coming up with something that you feel like is a valid reason, like it's so interesting even to hear you say you've got the most valid reason, right? And then even still saying it and kind of hoping that that's taken as like, oh, okay, we'll back off. Like that's definitely a good enough reason. And, you know, I was talking to a client this morning about just, there are always unlimited amount of reasons to drink, right? Like we can find pretty much any excuse, any event, any emotion, any change in wind to find a reason to drink, but actually finding a reason not to drink or living an alcohol-free kind of journey for what is the big question, right? Mm -hmm. And then like figuring out how do we conjure more of that of like, for why, right? for what am I not drinking rather than what am I drinking for? What am I drinking around or about? And that's a lot tougher for us to come up with because it doesn't feel as immediate, but it always takes me back to this idea of I think it would feel more immediate if more people knew the information that we know about alcohol. That's the really tricky place of being uniquely informed about all of these health risks and all the impact that it's actually having is then you kind of feel like this is important information that people should know. And yet it feels super taboo to bring up, or it feels like I'm going to have to approach this from a really careful place. So um, when I started doing the research on this, Holly Whitaker's book, Quit Like a Woman, was recommended to me. And that book has just been amazing for me in terms of her reflections and uh, talking about its effect and alcohol's relationship with women. I'm sure you've read it or know about it. I definitely had a lot of experience with it. I think the amount that it gets brought up in session with my clients when we're talking about alcohol use And the amount that women tend to talk about it when they have read it, they're like desperate to share, right? It's this uniquely informed kind of place to be. I I know these things. I've started to read about these things. And I would say for anyone who is on this journey, starting this journey, willing to take a look at this journey, I think it's a phenomenal place to start. It's got some really great questions to kind of ask yourself, really easy, absorbable takeaways, and also some some real life, hey, this isn't always going to look perfect in sunshine and rainbows. Just give it a stab, see what happens. Well, I think especially during these times, I mean, anxiety is at an all-time high. You have women who have been sending their kids off to school now that are working from home with kids from home that they are being told, you know, drink more wine. There's not enough wine, you know, I mean, and these are all things that are on social media and they're jokes and it's cute and it's funny. However, they don't realize how, you know, you drink a couple of glasses of wine, you're actually going to have more anxiety. It's going to actually escalate things and make things worse if you continue to do it to an unhealthy amount. And, you know, do we know the exact number to, to what's unhealthy Maybe not, but we know that if you're drinking daily, that it, it can lead to problems. And this time of stress and anxiety is, is I, I'm, I'm scared of the toll it might take on women in particular. It is, we're seeing a lot more of it and it's a lot harder to address when it becomes a bigger monster. And I think some of that is just the prevention piece of us not getting some of this information out there 
quick enough to everyone. It's like all this information is reserved for folks who have already experienced the physical yes. impacts and now we're having to reverse them. Right. And it, and like you said, it's this delicate balance of getting that information out there. I mean, I was you and I talked about this before, but I am trained how to talk about smoking cessation. I talk right. about it every single day with patients. And they expect it. They're ready to hear it. They will either, you know, give me the finger or <laughs> maybe listen to me. Who knows? But the only time I talk to them about alcohol cessation, and it's not even really cessation, but it's the people that already have liver damage that have, sure. are coming in for a procedure because of what, liver, what the alcohol has done to their bodies. That's the only time I bring it up. Rarely do I talk to someone that just tells me they, they're a social drinker. I just nod my head and move on. Uh, right. Because we're just not trained, even as as a medical professional, I'm not trained on right. how to talk about this stuff because it is so taboo. Yeah. And then compounding all of that with the fact that women are going to experience those physical kind of ramifications a lot sooner or quicker. I mean, if you look at a woman in her 50s who's been diagnosed with a substance use disorder versus a man, you're going to see typically, maybe not across the board, but you're going to see a much more physical impact on the female Absolutely. than on the male body just in general, which is even more reason to get it out there. Yes. Agreed. What do you think kind of talking about the, the dance around this topic, what do you think makes alcohol such a unique topic that it's either reserved or taboo or has to even be tiptoed around? Unlike maybe some of the other things like my girlfriends, there's nothing that's off topic. There's nothing that's too taboo to talk about. And still alcohol somewhere else. Right. What do you, th you think is happening? Well, I think for one, it was the first available way we could self-medicate for our anxiety and depression. And also, it's always been there for every celebration. I mean, when you think about, you know, any shower, even a baby shower you've gone to, there's alcohol. <laughs> a wedding, yeah. alcohol. I mean, everything involves celebration. And that's way before you know, Bud Light and everything else existed. It's always been a part of a celebration. And so to take that away, you're taking away the celebration. I mean, that's the way I think people yeah. feel about it. You're, you're taking, you're the fun police. Who wants to be the fun police? Yeah. So I, I think that's part of it. I mean, there's so many factors to why, why we don't want to get rid of it mm -hmm. and uh, why, it, why it will always be around. And so there's no question that that it's it's here to stay. It, the The question is, how are we going to talk about it, and how can we change the the subject so that it doesn't scare people away from talking about it? Yeah, some of the the really in depth kind of scientific stuff is what really gets me, and and I always reflect on some of the information that I read and go back to how come me and the girls don't talk about this? How come me and my mom don't talk about this? And some of the things that come to mind specifically for me, and I'd love to just, whichever one jumps out at you that you want to dive into, let's do it. Because things like birth control, um, fertility, what alcohol impact is like around the time of your menstrual cycle, menopause, just female hormones in general and that kind of interaction with alcohol, what is happening with, with the amount of information that we know there and what do you feel like is really not being uncovered or talked about or 
dug into around some of the hormonal stuff with women. You know, since I'm not in reproductive health, I don't know how much they talk about a lot of these things. I know we always talk about fetal alcohol syndrome and we tell Mm -hmm. women not to drink when pregnant. If you're dealing with infertility, I honestly can't say what infertility doctors tell their patients. Um, There is no question that uh, your ovulation will change if you're a moderate to heavy drinker. And so there, there have been not a lot of studies. And that's another thing. There's just a paucity of studies on this stuff because right. we don't, we're clearly not going to give teenagers alcohol and study their effects on puberty. So really the only models that you have to look at are rat models. And mm. though you can compare those to humans and we do all the time, I think that it's always easy to say, well, there, there's just not enough studies to really tell us. I'm sure you just like diet and exercise is brought up. It is brought up. Is it brought up as a, you absolutely should not drink? Probably not. It, it would probably be brought up more like, you know, limit your alcohol to however many drinks a day. Right. I mean, my dad was an OBGYN and both, both my parents drank every night, um, except for when my dad was on call. And he always tells the stories about back in his day, when women would go into preterm labor, they would feed them alcohol. Mm-hmm. And he always laughs and tells the story about my mom going into preterm labor with me <laughs> at Disney. And so he bought her a six pack of beer and fed it to her. And, you know, I mean, that's just like where, you know, here's my dad, who's a physician who loves to tell this story all the time and give out getting my mom drunk while she was pregnant with me. I'm sure he would yeah. die that I'm telling the story right now. <laughs> But, you know, it was just a, it was a different time. And then that part has changed. That's just surrounding pregnancy. But I think everything else sort of remains the same. I mean, we will get on a patient about drinking too much, but rarely do we talk about moderate drinking, whether it's fertility, whether it's puberty, whether it's menopause, you know, like I said, I don't see patients for that, but I based on my medical school training and when I did rotate through the clinic, I don't remember really talking about it. It's so strange. I have, you know, just at the age, I guess, where a lot of folks are starting families and, and, or have been trying for years and just anecdotally, not even professionally, some of the conversations that I hear that they're having with their doctors, with their spouses around what things they're going to adjust um, in response to infertility, alcohol is never brought up. And it always seems like such a missing piece and also just seems like not my place to be like, have you thought about not, you know? Right. <laughs> nobody wants to think they have a problem. And, and they're when not you asking ask, for advice. Right. They're not asking for advice. And when you tell them, have you thought about not drinking? Like what, do I have a problem with drinking? I mean, that's going to be the first response. That would be my response. If, I mean, even Robbie and I have dealt with that mm-hmm. as you know, he's saying like, Oh, you've had, you had quite a few glasses of wine last night. Like, Oh, I can mm-hmm. have as many glasses of wine. I don't know. You know, you know, it's, <laughs> it's no matter what, there's this, the judgment of, yeah. I, I, I'm allowed to have it. I'm okay. Don't judge me. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a, a it's very a touchy private topic. topic. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is what I do. Like, let me do my thing. And, but it's so interesting when you start to open up that door that actually a lot of folks struggle with the same thing. I remember recognizing after um, a couple of years of not consuming alcohol because I was trying to figure out like where it really didn't fit in my life at the time. It really was not making sense and having some consequences and it was making me really sick. And I remember kind of the light bulb going off at one point that 
the only medication that had changed for me in all those years was birth control. Mm. And the, you know, all the attempts of like finding the right birth control, which we're told we just have to do, we have to go through like five or six of them three months at a time to figure out which one works well for us. And um, the combination of alcohol and not high amounts of alcohol, but just alcohol, any amount, plus my birth control made me violently ill. And when I started sharing that of like, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, maybe you get really sick because of the medication you're on and the interaction between alcohol and your medication. And suddenly there were lots of girls in my circle that were like, oh, well, the only medication I take is birth control. And I'm like, right. But have you considered that that might be the medication it's interacting poorly with? And turns out there's a lot of commonality there. And there's a lot of conversation that just belongs around it so that we don't feel so lonely and crazy and weird about some of it. And And I'm curious, was it a physician that figured out that combination or was it you? It was me. I don't think it ever got brought up um, in a doctor's office. I've never heard that. Yeah. It was like, it just makes me sick. I'm going to stop taking it. You know, I don't feel like myself. I can't. And it wasn't until about a year after I had, um, well, I hadn't drank in two years and I had been about a year of being off of birth control before I then consumed any amount of alcohol again. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't get violently ill. And mm-hmm. the only thing that had changed during that time and during the time frame of watching when it started and ended was birth control. And so just having those conversations and remembering kind of vulnerably sharing with one of our friends, like, hey, I don't, this might be weird, but I don't really like going out during that time of my month because. I feel like I get way more intoxicated way faster. Like I can have one glass of wine and feel really hot and feel drunk from one glass of wine. And it's like, oh my God, me too. Like I've never heard anyone else say that. And then turns out everyone at the table is like, oh yeah, I don't drink hot period. Or, oh yeah, I love drinking hot period. (laughs) And then, you know, the conversation around like, it makes my cramps way worse it makes, sorry, anyone that's graphic warning, like it makes my flow way heavier. It makes everything more painful. And then I get migraines and that's the only time I get migraines on my period is when I drink. And I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. What if I hadn't brought this up? Like, I would just feel like this was just either my period or my drinking. That was weird. Right. I mean, and medically there's no question that there's a relationship between alcohol and an increase in estrogen and you think about dehydration and how that's going to affect your body and how yeah. that's going to change your periods and increase risk, you know, increase in bloating, increase in headaches. Your headaches are going to get worse. I mean, all those things are directly correlated. But you're right. We don't talk about it unless you're hopefully with a group of women that's happy to talk <laughs> about it. But I've never talked about it with my friends. It's like unless you're sick and tired of the issue and then you bring it up and then everyone's like, oh, right. Oh, my gosh, I had never thought of that. And I'm like, oh, right. It's me. Yeah. And I hear the same thing later in life. I've talked I've worked with a lot of women who experience very similar things during menopause and Mm -hmm. struggle with a lot of that journey of changing intolerance and changing effects of alcohol going through menopause. I don't know if that's something that you're kind of willing to dig into or know anything about professionally. So actually, you know, when I knew that we were doing this talk, I did look into menopause and alcohol. And, and once again, there's there's not a lot of good data. And it's very conflicting um, in terms of how it affects menopause 
in general. Um, there are some things that say that it worsens hot flashes. There are certain things that say that it makes them better. So I can't, I can't speak to the scientific liter- literature on it because there's just not a lot of, lot of it. No yeah. question, as we go through menopause, we lose more body water. And so the effects of alcohol are way uh, heavier in terms of you can't drink as much once you are going through menopause. And also alcohol increases your risk of osteoporosis and bone degeneration. And so you're higher risk of having fractures and, you know, kyphosis, meaning like sort of bent over more, all those things as you're going through menopause, as we age, increases uh, problems with the alcohol and the relationship with it. So, and and another thing that's interesting is that alcohol in the perimenopausal and postmenopausal women has increased a lot over the past 10 Mm -hmm. years. And I think that speaks to society and social media and the fact that, you know, mommy juice and carrying on to older women and our social circles and the way we get together is always alcohol. And I think it's it's increased the consumption in older women. And Gosh, there's so much there. And there's also, like you said, there's also not enough there in terms of research. No, I just realized how little there is on human subjects in this. And yeah. what's interesting is even in the medical literature, a lot of it has caveats. And right. it's it's like, we think, we think, but, you know, if you're drinking just, you know, a couple of glasses of wine, that, that you're probably okay, but there's no good scientific literature on it. It's only, you know, for the most part in rat bottles. Though the Lancet did come out with something, which the Lancet is, I think, a very prestigious journal in 2018, really looking at alcohol more in depth and looking at retrospective studies and how much alcohol consumption does lead to increase in mortality, the relationship to cancers, and that it really refuted this idea that one glass of wine is healthy from a cardiovascular risk standpoint. So I, I do think that the literature is probably coming. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just a hard thing to study. And a lot of people don't want to study it. You know, I mean, people don't want to hear sure. it. There are some really concrete things that we do know about the the interaction between alcohol and our physical bodies or disease process. And you had mentioned cancer prior. Can you speak a little bit just of some of the dots that you've connected in terms of um, knowing kind of this is a neurotoxin carcinogen and the link with cancer? Yeah, I think that alcohol is related to four, no, sort of 6% of all cancers and 4% of mortality um, from cancers, breast cancer being a huge one. And the relationship of alcohol and an increase in estrogen is probably one of the most important modifiable risk factors that you can change if you have, I mean, in general, but you know, if you have a risk of breast cancer, you should be thinking about your alcohol intake. I mean, of course, there's no question genetic linkages to breast cancer, and those are probably the most important thing to be looking at. But if you have a history of it, um, it, there is a clear link to alcohol and breast cancer. I don't think they know how much, you know, when you look at it in terms of how many drinks a day is puts you at higher risk for breast cancer, I can't say. But 
but there's no question a link. And then all the other cancers, I mean, pretty much, like we talked about, it's a toxin. So anything it touches, you're, mm-hmm. you're putting yourself at risk. So all, you know, organs that you're passing it through, whether it's your esophagus, your stomach, your rectum, I mean, all of those things are higher risk of developing cancer. My mom died of lung cancer, and she had uh, she died from the cause that is non-smoking related. And mm-hmm. I, my mom drank every single night, and I have told Robbie multiple times that there's part of me in the back of my mind that wonders that relationship and whether you know I if if it could have contributed to her having cancer. She yeah. died within six, seven weeks of her diagnosis. And it was just, wow. it was also sudden. And I have questioned how someone who was pretty healthy could just get mm-hmm. so sick so quickly. And I, you know, was it, is it environmental? I mean, we're always looking at, you know, these things to make us healthy. I started doing intermittent fasting. I cut out sugar. <laughs> I did everything. And then there's this one piece that I know was always in my mom's life, and that was a beer every single night at five. She always drank beers, and could that have contributed to it? I mean, I have seen no relationship to lung cancer in particular, but I wonder. Yeah, when you use the word like modifiable, this is like one of the things you really do have control over, whether you, you know, especially if you've got that genetic predisposition, I get to choose whether I include that in my life. I mean, similar to if I've got skin cancer in my family, like I definitely don't go tanning, right? right? And I'm really good about SPF and just, gosh, there's such a disconnect. I'm sure, I mean, that had to have you think through some of that and just question, I mean, even your own use, right? And what are some of the questions you've asked yourself about your alcohol use? I mean, it's gotta be, I mentioned dealing with Robbie's got to be a whole thing, but also, you know, being someone who's not in recovery in a marriage with someone who is in recovery comes with its own pieces. And I'm curious for you, what questions that has raised about your own alcohol use? Yeah. I know Robbie and I talked about this earlier, but I, I think I, because I'm married to someone that is in recovery, I think about every time I take a drink, I think about how much I'm drinking what it's doing to me, how my daughter is watching me drink. Um, and you know, is it, am I going to be affected the next day? And will my husband judge me? And Mm -hmm. I I mean, that sounds horrible, but if I come home and I'm slurry, then he's, he would never say anything or he probably would, but (laughs) (laughs) he he typically says that, you know, I, I, I don't act like that. I'm sure I do at times. Uh, but uh, it's the last thing I want is for him to look twice at my drinking. So I'm very aware mm-hmm. of what I drink. That said, I still drink probably more than I'd like. I've, I've, over the past year, I've really questioned how much I drink, especially during COVID. I saw so many of my friends increase their consumption. Yeah. And I kind of went the opposite direction, mainly because I was in this whole mindset of I'm going to be as fit and healthy as ever been in my life. I'm not going to, I, I have so much to deal with from the stress standpoint of dealing with COVID and everything else. I need to meditate. I need to exercise. And so I really stopped 
and I wasn't socializing. So I just mm-hmm. quit drinking. Um, not so much of a, of a decision to quit drinking. I just, if I'm not going out with girlfriends, I really wasn't drinking. Yeah. It does. You get this like microscopic view on your own. And I think that, you know, both a blessing and a curse, but I think once you know the scientific information, once you know the lifestyle of recovery, once you really kind of have that back door to the negative impact that alcohol can have in a lot of different ways, it really has you, well, hopefully, right, question why we put it in our bodies and, and why, because I, I definitely relate on the same level of I still drink more than I probably would choose to. Like, if you asked me ideally how much I would drink, it would be less than I do. Yeah. And, you know, just just observing what's around it. And I think that that's what makes some of this conversation so relatable is there is so much information and we certainly want to share that. And also it's not about doing it perfectly. Right. And it's not about cutting it all out at once and being like, all right, sober lifestyle. It, it's just about knowing and knowing more the next day and exploring and continuing that journey to evaluate what's really best for us. Because I really think that there's something so empowering about, God, I love the word that you used, the modifiability, <laughs> if that's a word, yeah. of this factor in our physical health and our well-being and our overall empowerment as women to really take a look at the unique effects it has on the female body and make decisions based on that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you think about some of the risks that it has for women in particular, especially dealing with domestic violence and the issues of control. And I'm a pretty staunch feminist, as my husband will attest to. (laughs) And that is such a powerful thing for me is that I don't like to lose control. And for women, that's where... It, I think that puts us at the most danger is, is it, it lets us put our, it, it takes your guard down. And it, when we talk about Robbie and I talk about raising our daughter and that's the most powerful message to me, because even though, you know, alcohol is always complicated. My relationship with alcohol will always be complicated because I think about it so much. Mm-hmm. The most important thing to me is that I never lose control. And yeah. I think I'm lucky in that respect in the fact that I, I never wanted to be the girl at a party that got that had to be carried home. I couldn't imagine anything more embarrassing. And I was good about that, but I want to know that my daughter, you know, alcohol is going to be in your life, but mm-hmm. don't ever let lose control. Don't ever lose your power because you know, it's it's a hard thing to fight for and we fight hard to have that power and and that strength and and alcohol will take it away if you're not careful. So one thing I'd like to do for our listeners is have you two come up with just two or three things uh, that are takeaways, um, things to think about, maybe challenges, things to question in the realm of the female relationship with alcohol. Sure. I mean... Clearly, I come from the medical standpoint, so I think that there's a lot of things that we don't talk about from the medical side um, in the relationship of alcohol to women's bodies, and, you know, whether it be 
you know, worsening your PMS symptoms to relationship to alcohol to breast cancer. I think these are things that we should be talking about together as women, because we do talk about things all the time and, and perhaps bringing up even to your doctor. I, I would wonder how often that is ever even brought up. How about you, Sam? What yeah. do you think? Yeah. The things that come to mind for me, maybe more challenges than they are kind of takeaways, having kind of piggybacking on what you said, Ashley, of just having that space with your girlfriends or with the women in your life. Like I think about my mom and just being able to talk about these things with her. I can talk about anything else and whatever shift I need to make to be able to talk about this with other women I have always found that there's common ground when I bring it up Mm -hmm. and so I just have to be willing to do that so it's a bit of a challenge to say hey go bring it up see what happens see what support you can get or what conversations you can have that maybe you haven't had before and the other piece would just be thinking how empowering this can be as a woman to trailblaze and to do something that may be a little bit of a newer concept that may be a little unpopular. I don't think so. I'll be honest. I think a lot of these conversations are starting to happen. And I've I've experienced more and more friends, especially in the wellness or in the athletic realm, starting to talk about the impact of alcohol, but just be willing to, to really make your own path and your own journey. And if that means taking a look at alcohol, removing alcohol, changing your patterns with alcohol, be brave. Go do it, girl. I love it. Do it, girl. (laughs) Do it, girl. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit samsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969. Or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.